Well, we're so glad you guys are here today, and I'm really looking forward to next Sunday. I hope that you've uh, made plans to be here for that. Man, I'm just looking forward to the, I love hay rides and pumpkin patches, and so, that's, that's the kind of stuff, when I think about fall and this time of the year, that's the stuff that gets me so excited, and I always think, you know, we can always, there's always more things that we could do, but we can, you know, we're limited with how many memories that we can make, and we don't want to let those moments pass by. So if you've got kids or grandkids or friends or neighbors, really hope you'll make Make a point to be here next week. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, a lot of great memories that we'll be able to make next Sunday. So looking forward to seeing you. You know, we're, we're wrapping this series up today called Love Does, and, and the whole point behind it has been that when, when, we, when we love somebody, we, we're, we're loving something, it's not passive. We, we don't just sit back and, and wait for something to happen, but love is an action it's a verb, it's something that we do, it's a decision that we've made, and it, it causes us to, to do something about it. And as I was thinking about what I really wanted to talk about today, I, uh, I, I pulled this thing out of our cabinet. This, this little cup here, uh, it actually belongs to my wife, and, and, this thing is, and, and this thing is not the best looking thing that we have in our house. It's probably straight out of the 60s or 70s, just this little cup that when she was a little girl she used to drink juice out of it it belonged to her grandparents and after her grandparents passed away this was like the one thing that Megan said I really want that cup and you know it doesn't match anything else in our house it's not the prettiest uh, you know thing that we own and it's got a few little chips in it uh, but this is highly treasured in our house I mean this is one of the most valuable possessions that we own even though it's not the prettiest and it's not perfect and, and it, it really maybe seems a little bit out of place. And the same is true with you. You, you may say as you look at yourself, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the best looking or I've got, some, you know, I've got some rough areas, some rough patches, some places. That, well, God's not done with me yet, thankfully. Or, you know, there's some little ugliness in my life. And maybe you've got a few chips on you or you say, I, I'm not sure what my place is in God's kingdom or the world or whatever else, and yet you are highly treasured by God. You are priceless just as you are. But you know what the problem with all that is? We know, okay, yes, we are God's highest creation. He loves us. Jesus died for us. But the problem is you've heard that too many times. So I can stand up here and talk about this, and sometimes it just falls a little bit flat, not because it's not powerful and not because it's not true, but because we've just become a little too callous to it. We've heard it so many times and we're sitting back, I know, I know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, you know. And, and we've forgotten, or we just, it's not all forgotten, but it's just, it's just not at the forefront of our minds what a high price Jesus paid for us. The greatest news in the world has just gotten a little bit doll. Maybe it's gotten tucked back in the cabinet somewhere and forgotten. That's why I love Ephesians chapter 2. It's such a great reminder for us. It's a good challenge, but it really helps to calibrate us a little bit. When we, need to, we need these moments because we so quickly forget what is really important. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I mean, it just sets the tone and we, we've got to remember this. He says, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, once you were dead. And the word dead, it's in, in the Greek language, it's the word nekros. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy for us to understand what that definition means. But it, the definition is, it's one that has breathed his last. 
lifeless or destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God because they have given themselves up to trespasses and sins. I read that and I, it kind of it, it kind of took me back to a moment in my life when I, I think, man, I remember feeling that way. Destitute of a life that recognizes or is devoted to God because they have given themselves up to trespasses and sin. In other words, what he's saying is at some point in all of our lives, every one of us, you can pretend if you want, but we know the truth. But at some point in all of our lives, we've all been there where we have stood at the crossroads of what's right and what God wants and what God has called us to. And God has said, narrow is the path and few find it. We've stood at that crossroad. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know the difference. And we have launched ourselves headfirst into what's wrong and what's broken and what leads to destruction and death. He says, once you were dead, once that was the path that you pursued, that's where you were at some point because of your disobedience and your many sins. And you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. We wonder sometimes, why does it seem so difficult to follow God? You know, if it's, if it's better... And it leads to life, and I know that there's hope and there's joy there. And I mean, he's made so many good promises to us, and we see the fruit of it in our life. Why is it so hard? Because you have an enemy. He says he's at work, the commander, the powers, all this stuff that's happening. He is at work in, in our hearts when we refuse to obey the Lord. He's pulling us away from what's good. And he says that all of us, listen, all, none of us are immune. It's not like we're talking to half the room and half of us, you know, are, are not here. He says all of us used to live that way. That's why we, we, can, we can be real. We can be honest about it. We can admit it's okay. It's okay to not, be, to not have been okay at some point. Maybe you're not today, but all of us used to live that way. We followed the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. In other words, we kept doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. And we knew it was wrong and we knew it was tearing us up, but we kept doing it by our very nature. It says we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Other translations that you might be familiar with say that we were objects of God's wrath. It's kind of like looming. <laughs> it just seems kind of like, whoa, I'm, I'm under his hand. The, the message translation, I love how it says it. It says that we all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. You feel any of that? I mean, we can get numb to it. We can, we can, and, and the longer that you're following Jesus, I think this is one of the hardest temptations to fight, is that we will, the, the longer that I follow Jesus, the more callous I become to the life that I used to live. And the, the, the concept of grace loses something. And, and somewhere I can kind of slide into this thinking that, well, maybe I've been good enough. You know, I, I try to live a good life. 
people seem to like me. I, I try to treat people honestly and fairly. Maybe that's enough. Maybe God is pleased with who I am just in and of myself. But what this passage means and what, what he's really pointing out is that at one point or another, we've all stood at those crossroads, uh, the crossroads of right and wrong, sin and life. And every single one of us, at some point, we didn't have the guts to say no to sin. We couldn't resist. We just gave in. It kind of sounds depressing up to this point. It's like you, you've blown it big time. There's really not much hope. Once you were dead, you were objects of God's wrath. He was angry. He was furious. There's not much, not much hope to turn it around. But then there's verse 4. I've said this before. This is one of my little redneck things. Some people love me when I say stuff like this. Some people just roll their eyes. But I say, man, there's just, <laughs> it's just, a, there's just a big, beautiful butt in the Bible. And I just, I love big butts in the Bible, and I cannot lie. I mean, I just do. They're there. Some of you are rolling your eyes. Like, I can't believe he's going. But yeah, I just, I love it. This is a game changer. In verse 4, it says, but, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. I mean, you, can't, you cannot overemphasize that enough. Once you were dead, once you were worthless, once God could have thrown you in the trash because you kept going headfirst into sin, he, you knew what was right and you just kept saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what's wrong. And he says, but because God is so rich in mercy, because he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So if you think that you're saved because you've been good, you're wrong. If you think that you're saved because, well, I took a few steps and did the right things, you're wrong. If you think you've been saved because, well, I was, I was baptized, so therefore God has to save me. Listen, baptism is a great step. It is a, certainly a command in Scripture. But if you think, well, I got dunked, I wet, so now I'm saved. God has to save me. Think again. Scripture says it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, just take a mental note of that. It says he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus so God can point to us. In all future ages, down the road, ages of people to come, he's going to point to us as, as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. I really love verse 6. Maybe we can put that back up there for just a second. Verse 6, it says that he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him. I've read that verse a thousand times, uh, you know, and, and I've always assumed, you know, okay, this is talking about some moment that's going to happen in the future, you know, when I die or Jesus comes back at some point, somewhere, he's going to seat me, you know, in the heavenly realms, whatever that looks like. I always assumed that meant that someday, right, that's, that's in the future, when I'm in heaven. But I was, I was talking with my friend this week, uh, Mark Jones, he's, he's preached for me before, he's the pastor at... Uh, at Nelson Christian Church in Bardstown, and, and Mark pointed something out to me that I had never really realized about that verse. He said, you know, it doesn't say that someday you'll be seated. It says that you are 
seated. You already, you're already seated. In other words, if you're saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, you said, Lord, it's, it's yours, you know, then you've already got a seat at the table. Your spot is secure. You don't have to worry, do I need a reservation? Or what do I have to do? Is it, it, you, you are secure. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You don't, need to, you don't need to concern yourself or worry. I was on a mission trip to Guatemala about eight or nine years ago. And uh, it had been, if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, I mean, it's, you, you know, you go on vacation. Everybody I ever talk to, they always say, you know, oh, we had a great time, but I'm so happy to be home. There's just no place like home. I mean, you go on a mission trip, you're working yourself to the bone from sunup to sundown. I mean, when you get home, it's great. But when you get home, man, you are ready to be home and I was away from Megan for, and the kids for a week and, you know, missing them and worked so hard. And uh, I was just ready. I was ready to get home. You know, when you're just, you're just like, I want to walk through the front door of my house. I want to be where my stuff is and I want to be in my bed and I want to see my family. Like, that's, that's where I was. And we're flying back and we had a, uh, we had a layover in Houston. And I'm sitting in the airport. We're ready to board the flight. I mean, it's like we're, we're getting ready to get on the plane. And they come over to the intercom and they, they said, sorry, we, we've got a little issue and we're going to be speaking to some of you, but we need some of you to come to the counter. And they called my name. And they said, I'm so sorry, Mr. Hatfield. We have overbooked this flight. And we will get you on the next available flight and get you home. But it's not going to be until tomorrow morning. But we're going to put you up in a hotel. We're going to give you some food vouchers. And, oh, it'll be so great. Man, I have never been so disappointed in my life. It's like they put me in this crummy little hotel room, gave me some vouchers for some restaurant that had terrible food. And I called Megan. I said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm not going to be home tonight. She says, you're kidding me. I said, no, I can't. I'm not gonna. She says, but I, was, I had the kids sent over to my mom's. I, I was ready for you to come home. So you're killing me. What about tomorrow? Can she? No, it's just, just sorry, sorry, Brandon. Is it? Anyway, anyway. <laughs> but whenever I fly now, I'm I'm that guy that you know they check. They, there's an app. You can reserve your seats 24 hours in advance now. I'm that guy. The moment that that window opens up, I reserve my seat because I'm going to make sure I'm going to be on that flight. My rear end is going to be in that seat on time. You, you don't need to worry about it. I'll show up two hours beforehand, all that. And, and, and that's the way I roll now because I want to know that when I show up, there's a seat for me. That's the heart of this passage. You've got a seat. It's reserved. It's secure. If your life is hidden with Christ... You don't need to worry about when you show up. It's there. You, you've got a seat. Now check out the next part of that passage. This is where the security is. It says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. I mean, you kind of hear this it's like a broken record here. It says you cannot take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done so none of us can boast about it. It seems like a, such a simple verse, but so many of us struggle with that truth right there. Because, I mean, come on, we're here. We're here. We're, we're the church. It's Sunday morning. Here we are, and, and we live in the Bible Belt. We've all got a little church, right? 
I mean, all of us got a little Jesus in our life. You go talk to the person that hasn't been, haven't darkened the doorway of a church in 10 years, and they got a little bit of Jesus because, you know, that's who we are, right? It's kind of our culture. We've all got a little bit of that going on, and, and we know that, that we used to be bad, but now we're a little less bad. And, and, that's, and that's good enough, isn't it? Look at the good things that we do. Look at the good things that we say. I mean, look, yes, we're saved by grace, but we, we helped out a little bit, didn't we? I mean, didn't I kind of help him? I, I was good. Weren't we pretty good? God's got to be happy with us, right? This is a tough verse to really accept it when you wrestle with it and what the implications are because what it communicates to each of us is no. You were never good enough. You, you never did enough. And you couldn't have. You, you, never, you never did the right things. You, you were never going to be enough. You may have had great intentions, but even those weren't enough. There's only one thing in your entire life that's worth holding on to for dear life. That's what I love about those words is that God saved you by his grace when you believed. We just sang about that. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Your promises are true and they're real. You know, it's, it's, not like, it's not like paying off your truck and now it's finally yours. We can't earn grace. It's a, it's a free gift. It, it's another, there's another reason it's not by works. If we had to earn it, we would never know whether or not we had done enough. You know, how many nice things does a person have to say to, to finally be a nice person? How many times, what's the number of times that you have to say no to temptation before, before you're finally, you know, good enough? Several, uh, this back in, uh, when I was working on my, my master's, I had a class, we were talking about world religions, and we, we took a little field trip to uh, uh, the Islamic Center in Cincinnati. And I didn't know a whole lot about Islam, and, but we were studying these different religions, so we were given a tour of the, the mosque and had questions, you know, were able to ask questions at the end of the tour, this uh, lady that um, was, was doing this. And I thought it was so interesting. Somebody had asked the question. They said, how, you know, how do you get, in, you know, in your religion, what you believe, how does a person get to heaven? And she said, well, you think about it, it's like life is like a big scale. And all the things that you do right go on one side, and then everything you do bad is on the other side. And you just kind of hope that at the end of your life, at the scale tips in your favor. In other words, what I heard, no security. There's no peace. No sense of, I know that my spot is there. I know I've got a seat at the table. That's why Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He wasn't, he wasn't telling us the bad news. He was telling us the only news. It's the good news. Just follow me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You, we don't have to worry. You know, every, every time we had a bad day, I mean, if, if grace depended on us, if salvation was dependent on us, then every time I had a bad day, every time I took a step backward or fell off the wagon or wandered off the path for a season, you'd be worried to death that you're, you're lost. And, and, uh, and maybe I've lost what I earned. Is God going to repo my salvation? Is he going to take it back because I had a bad day? That's not what these verses say. It says God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
You can't take the credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. None of us can boast about it. Now, good works are important. And we can't miss this, that uh, the proof of a life that is hidden in Christ is that we're growing. We don't just accept Jesus and then hit cruise control for the rest of our life. Life is, we are meant to grow. Healthy things grow. Relationships matter, and, and we see that in our service, in our devotion, in our worship, all those things. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's far better to be a good person than it is to be a bad person. I, I read a quote this week that I really liked. It was, it was, it was convicting to me. It said that a good person inconveniences themselves for the sake of the community. A bad person inconveniences the community for the sake of themselves. But that was good. Am I, am I laying down my life, myself, my pride, my, my whatever for the, the sake of others? And the last verse we're going to look at together, this really kind of ties it all together. Verse 10, it says that for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus for this purpose. This is the icing. This is, this is the, the point that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You and I were created for good things. There is a, there is a purpose. There's a purpose to your life. There, there, is, there is something that he is working out in you that he has planned for you to do. And some of you think, I can't seem to do anything right. Or, and, and that's not true. Or some of you think, well, you know, I know that I have the capacity to do good. And maybe someday I will. Someday in the future, I don't know when, but at some point out there, way out there somewhere, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to be part of the kingdom of what God's doing on the earth. But right now, I'm, I'm doing what's good for me. And someday when I get more time or when I got a little more margin, or I got a little more whatever, what, fill in the blank, that's when I'll do that. It's, it's not good for others what I'm doing right now, but it's good for me. That's not why you were made. You weren't made to just take up space, consume, and then die. You're made to work something out. You're made to be on mission. You'll never find satisfaction until you find the purpose that you were made for. What is God working out in you? You'll never be content. It'll be an itch that will never get scratched. It'll be a fire in your bones. You'll search the earth and never be whole because God has something that he wants each of us to do. There's something that he has made you. He's formed you for it. What is it? Because if... If we don't do that thing, it might not get done. Now, I'm not saying that God can't get done what he needs to get done. He, he can do that with or without you. He's, he's God. He's in control. He can do what he wants. But what I'm saying is God uniquely positioned you, and he's positioned me, where we are able to do the most good. He has put you in this place at this time for a purpose. He's wired you a specific way so that you can do the most good. And if we drop the ball, if we drop the baton, there is nobody in our exact same place. There's nobody else. It's you. It's you. you were formed. You're unique. You are a high creation of God with your exact set of life experiences. And you are perfectly Position. You may not recognize it, but you are perfectly positioned to do the things that he has purposed for you to do. 
Because you were created to do good things. To serve. It's kind of like this cup. This cup is not valuable for how it performs. Uh, it's, It's valuable because of how much it's loved. Because of how much it means to us. It's just like we are. It's valuable because of where it came from. Who it came from. What the connection is. Just like us. We're valuable because of who we're connected to. Because of who formed us, who made us. And this is one thing I'd love for you to remember is that sometimes our brokenness reveals our true purpose. You think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm broken. I, my, my, I struggled with this for a long time. I thought that I was doomed because of my family history. I thought I just, there's a lot of trauma and abuse and brokenness and, and difficult things. And I thought, I, I think I am disqualified because of who I am in my DNA. I just feel like that's who I am. I hear other pastors that stand up and talk about some of their family stories and, oh, these, this wonderful, you know, legacy of faith. And I looked at mine. I was like, man, I just, I don't have that. I, I don't know that, I'm, that I measure up. Maybe you feel that way. I love how Paul says in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship. The word, it's, it's the word poema. It's where we get our word for poem. We are God's poem. Rather than saying we're God's workmanship that's like a, like a product, like we're used and then discarded, it's, it's fair to translate it that we are God's work of art. We are his work of art. We are his, his, his highest, his greatest creation. That's why we do good works. That's what he made us for. Not because we have to. Not because we're trying to earn something. Not because we're trying to be good enough or prove something or repay a debt. It's because that's why he made us. That's what our function is. It's who we are. It's it's this value that is deep within. I I like to think about it like this. We are saved to serve, not to sit. You and I were not made to just consume, take up space, and die. We were made to do something with purpose. And the proof of God's grace in us is that we let God work through us. That's how the world will know when they see what we do, when they see who we are, how we live, how we treat others, how we serve selflessly, they'll know that that's because of the grace of God. That's our purpose. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, this is the the last week, as I mentioned. We've talked about this topic that love does something. It doesn't just sit around. It doesn't just wait to be served. Jesus led the way in that. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. When we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that's literally what we're doing. If we're going to be more like Christ, then that means that we serve. We don't just say, I'm waiting for somebody to do something for me. That's not at all what Christ did. Uh, we, We jump in. We get involved. We serve the Lord by serving those around us. And we have so many people that serve faithfully. Uh many that you would never see up on this stage. Number one, because they wouldn't want to be. They wouldn't want the recognition. Uh, And you may never even notice the things that they do, but it's vital. All the things that we enjoy, the preparation that goes into just allowing us to have the opportunity to come into a safe place to worship together, to pray and encourage each other. You have no idea the amount of effort that goes into just what we do here from preparing communion caring for the building volunteering with children cutting the grass 
leading groups, playing music, caring for the, those in the hospital, keeping in contact with missionaries around the world, running the live stream cameras and equipment, smiling and greeting people at the doors as they walk in. Every single one of those things happened because people refused to sit because they know they were made to serve. And, and I'm telling you, many people don't believe this. Um, and, and this is not me blowing smoke. This is, this is the truth. We uh, we'll have a number of people that come here. We're, it's, it's really a cool thing. But we have a lot of people that will show up here on a Sunday morning that have never been in church ever. It's just so hard for me to grasp. I was, some of you like me, we were raised in it. You know, it's like, I know, I, I know, I could go in a church blind and I'd be like, I can tell you where the nursery is, we'll find it. You know, it's just, like, that's just been part of my life. But then we have people that never, ever had any exposure to that. They, they don't know. And, and the number one thing we hear again and again and again when someone comes here for the first time, whether it's the first time they've been to church or it's the first time here, they may not know much about Jesus. Maybe their life is hanging on by a thread. And they come in here, and the Holy Spirit starts moving, gets a hold of them, and, and you see something great is happening in their life. You just, it's just like, I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like, oh, man, it's just God's grabbed a hold of you. And, and every so often we'll ask, you know, what made you stay? What made a difference? Why, why was it? You know, what, if you could think back, what, what made that difference? You came and visited. What made you lean in? And you know what it was? I, what I've never heard. Well, man, the music was so good. John will be so disappointed, but that's not what it was. And it was not how beautiful the facility is. They didn't say, oh, I just love your paint job. It's just so great. Heartbreakingly, it was not how good the sermon was. Oh, my gosh, that joke you told just changed my life forever. It just, that wasn't what it was. Every single time, every single time, it was, I felt so welcome. From the moment I walked in the door, somebody offered me their hand. They handed me a little bulletin. They offered me some coffee. They helped me find where, what to do with my kids. Some people were excited to, to, to be with my kids and hang out with my kids. And, and, and somebody pointed out where the restrooms are. Somebody offered to pray with me. They saw me crying. They said, can we help? Can we... Is there something that we could do? You know, somebody invited me to their small group. Those things make a difference like you wouldn't believe. And, and it seems silly. It seems simple. Like, what is this? This people, I mean, lives are being changed for eternity because of those small things. The scripture says, don't ever discount. Don't ever snub your nose at the small things. God uses the small things to do big things. We have a number of people that watch from all over the country every Sunday. We consider them part of our family here it's been unique how that has all happened and but they depend on this service to be online at the right time on Sunday morning and done with the level of excellence that pleases the Lord and we wouldn't be able to do that without a hand without a handful of faithful people that that sit behind the scenes week after week and they run a camera or they they operate the the live stream Equipment, the switcher, they run audio levels. And some of you, that's an area you could step into. You've got those skills or those gifts or you're willing to learn. Don't, don't discredit small things. If it's not small. It may seem small, but if you've got the passion, we want to give you the opportunity. So as you leave, there's a table in the lobby that says, I'm in. There'll be people there. We're available. We want to talk to you. 
Others of you say, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm called to be a greeter or a camera or audio person. I'm not sure what I'm called to do. Okay, what you said, you made a good argument, but I don't know what to do. I'll tell you one thing I've learned about following Jesus. Jesus loved people. He didn't love the idea of people. He loved people. He loved being with people. He, he would go out of his way to be with people. And one thing that I know is as life goes on and we get busier and there's distractions, it's easier. It just seems to happen that we isolate. We begin to isolate and we just stop being available. I think we really have to fight that. Jesus wasn't like that. And the people in my life that have been the most influential, that have helped shape me the most, were the people that were the most available. That's why we got staff and we got volunteers that'll be at the next steps area or they're at the IMN tables, they're available. You want to talk to me, I'm going to be here at the front of the stage in just a minute. I'm available. You want to call us during the week, call. We're available. We want, we want you to be known. We want you to know that we're here. If you're ready to step in, we, we want to talk to you about that. I'm going to close with this. I, I heard this story. Uh, a guy named Jeff Walling, great, great preacher, told this story at a conference about a man in his church named Daryl. He said, Daryl is a helpful guy around the church. Sometimes he drives the church van. And when the teens, when the teenagers needed a driver to go serve at a nearby nursing home, they had a program that they'd take the teenagers to a nursing home every so often. Daryl said he would drive the bus, he'd drive the van so long as he didn't have to go inside because he said, those places just give me the creeps. You know, I don't, I don't want to go in. You know, those weird smells and I don't know what it is, you know. But it, as it worked out, one, one day he's driving the teenagers to the nursing home and he felt kind of guilty. He's like, I just don't want to sit in the van. That does not, that's not a very good witness or example for these young people. So he said, I'm going to go inside, but I'm just going to sit in the back. They're going to do like a little worship service. He said, I'm just going to sit in the back. And he didn't talk to anybody. But he ended up sitting, and they wheeled in this man uh, who was a resident at the nursing home. They wheeled this guy in right next to him uh, during, for the service. And at the end of the service, when they all bowed their heads to pray, this man reached over and grabbed Daryl's hand and held his hand while they prayed. They didn't speak to each other, but, but Daryl, he just couldn't get this guy out of his head. And so the next time that the kids went to the nursing home, Daryl drove again and he sat next to the same guy and the same thing happened they go for the prayer you know bow their heads the guy reached over and took took daryl's hand and then daryl uh asked him his name his name was mr leak and daryl actually pushed him back to his room he pushed his wheelchair pushed him back to his room after the service well something had happened and daryl just like you know this is kind of cool he started to to see this guy every time he, he went to the nursing home after that. And he always made it a habit to push him back to his room when things were over. And they'd talk and pray a little bit, just kind of share their faith. He started to develop a little bit of a relationship with this guy. He even started going to visit him when the teenagers weren't at the nursing home. And it wasn't about making an appointment or, you know, whatever. It was just about friendship. Because of, of his own brokenness, he knew he could help somebody else. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm making a difference, even if it's just for a minute or two for this guy. One day, Daryl drove the youth to the nursing home, and he sat in the back in his usual place, waiting for his friend, but Mr. Leak didn't come out that day. And after the service, he asked the nurse, he said, well, that was on Mr. Leak's floor, he said, where, where is he? And he found out that his friend had just died that week. 
And, uh, and the nurse then told something that he would never forget. She said, well, you know, before he died, Mr. Leak said to me, tell Jesus that I'll miss him. He was talking about Daryl. She said, you were Jesus to him. When is the last time that somebody confused you with Jesus? You may be the only glimpse that some people will ever have. Don't forget that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to serve you, to be saved, to be a part of the family of God, and Lord, to know that you've made us with purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to find what that purpose is. And as we, as we stumble toward you and we, we try and we just continue to, to dig deep and lean into these truths, Lord, just guide us. Help us to, to, to fan into flame that spark that you put in us. Lord, we, we thank you so much for the grace that you have showered on us every day. May we never take that for granted. May it never, may it never lose its power in our life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.